Time's not down, you're not coming in. Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. So as we continue into this Stu Allen episode, I want to talk to him a little bit more about production and also Happy Hardcore because he is famed uh, for his uh, Happy Hardcore. And we'll bring you up to date and find out exactly how the last year has been and what it's been up to in the 20 long years since the end of the 90s rave scene. Uh, Stu Allen is still here. Hey, Stu, how are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. Oh, Good a man. Bit comfy. Good man. Good man. Well, listen, aside from the DJ and the radio, which we talked about in the previous episode, you are also a producer. What was it that led you into production and, and what was the first track that you released? Um, well, it's just an obvious thing, isn't it? If you like music and you, I think anybody who loves music wants to record it and have a go. And um, and that's what I did. I just messed about in very sort of um, primitive stuff, um, you know, recording equipment back then, or like Tascam four track stuff and whatever. Terrible, but yeah, it made you be creative, and that was important. Um, and then I got the chance to do something down at a guy called um, Les Adams, which a lot of you and another one who's sadly not with us anymore. Um, but I've got really good, I've always been very good friends with him and he had a studio which I just went and messed about with and um, <clears throat> and it became after, you know, the, the original production was from this, this was back in 1990, early 1990 really and, uh, and I went down to another studio to finish it off and that became, I went under the name of Catch and it was a freak, uh, track called Free Come On, which uh, Pete Song signed to FFRR at the time um, for quite a few quid, actually. But anyway, uh, <laughs> not that I saw too much of that. But anyway, yeah, that was my first official official release. Yeah, it was. Uh, did you, did you enjoy? Did you enjoy production, or did you prefer DJing oh, and, sit and, well, and see yeah. it as necessary in that field? Because well, you say God yeah, as though it's obvious, but a, a lot of the producers <clears> we speak to say that it's incredibly frustrating and and and, and hard work. Um, yeah, I just you know, no, it was to me, uh, it was fun, and and I don't suppose again, I didn't have a plan for that either. You know, maybe in hindsight, maybe I should have done, but I never never did. I just made the track because I wanted to and. And it did, you know, it did well in its own thing, you know, made a few quid out of it and that sort of thing. But, um, and I never thought of it as hard work, you know, it just, uh, because I wasn't, yeah, I suppose because I didn't have a plan, I wasn't taking it overly seriously in that way, you know what I mean? Where, oh, the plan's not working, you know what I mean? I, I was DJing and doing radio and everything anyway. So, but I always wanted to make, yeah, music without a doubt. I did even from the days of being in a band, you know, course, yeah. in the late seventies. You know, you just want it's just another way of making music, really. 
Oh, you had an early track featured on an EP with Carl Cox, who we talked about quite in detail in the previous part. And um, how successful mm. was that venture? And uh, what? And if it was successful, why didn't you do more? <laughs> uh, well, it was. Um, yeah, it was a, an EP from. He he started this label MM MMR more more music records or something or most music records something like that and um, it was just an EP and like a of artists that were on his roster at the time and he went on them conquer and uh, and I had a project that I'd already had um, as Visa so I just did this thrashing sort of um, like a like Euro banging techno sort of like a bit, bit Belgianish really. Um, and I just went under the name of uh, Anti-Visa, um, a bit like the Anti-Capella sort of idea, really, and just threw that on the EP, and, yeah, it, was, it, was, uh, it became quite massive at the time. Yeah, unbelievable. So, yeah, that was, enough. that was 93, I think, something like that. I can't remember the, the exact so if, year. If it, got, if it was that popular and massive, why didn't you do more? Is that to do with Carl leaving? <laughs> well, I was, I was seeing, yeah, for that label, um, yeah, that was just like a big thrashy thing. But the, the Visa thing I did a year before, I think, uh, called Let Me See You Move, and that was like a, another bit of a, a legendary tune. But, uh, yeah, that became pretty big. Um, and then different mixes of that, again, on Carl's label. He did a mix, and then I did updated stuff. <clears throat> um, but I went on to do other bits, but I, it was a time, finding enough time uh, because of... Uh, because of Everything else and, that you were doing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. And, you know, I had to sort of like, oh, well, never mind, sort of thing, really. I suppose it would have been nice to uh, to have done a bit more, but but yeah, it didn't really matter, you know, at all. We had a question in from Joe Smale, and it's a sensitive one. So it's quite a long question, but I'm going to read it all. <clears> I, think, I think it's worthwhile reading the whole thing. He says, I don't know if this is appropriate to ask. Well, we, 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 I did check with you in advance whether you'd be okay with it, and, and you are, so I'm going to continue with it. <laughs> he said, it's very interesting. Um, Stu's track, Hi, I'm Chucky, Want to Play, was used as some kind of uh, sound effect for the torture in the tragic kidnapping and murder of Suzanne uh, Gapper in uh, Manchester in 1992. He said, obviously, it's got nothing to do with, with Stu himself, and he's not for a minute suggesting he's implicated, of, of course, in what happened. But it's an incredibly rare thing to have happened for an artist, to have find out that your work has been co-opted in such an awful way. And so Joe wonders what kind of effect it had on you when you found out and whether it changed things for you in terms of pre producing music, because he, he points out, and this may not be linked, and you'll be able to tell us, that your productions in 92 seem to move away from that sort of dark side sound into more of a, a happy territory to a certain extent. And he wonders whether that was anything to do with it. And he, and he says that he asks, he points out, I ask in gen genuine interest, I mean, no disrespect either to Stu or to the family and friends of Suzanne. But it, it is, and it, it, it must be a crazy thing to have happened to a young producer. Well, yeah. Um, obviously, I knew nothing about this until um, it was, uh, yeah, the Greater Manchester Police has phoned, phoned me up. Uh, it was a detective uh, and he said he wanted to speak. Can he, can he come around and speak to me about uh, uh, a tape that he's got? <clears throat> and mainly it's, it was in 
where she was tortured, um, there was cassettes lying around and they were just of my show, really. They'd recorded my show, which lots of people did, and uh, they were just lying around. So that was the main reason for them getting in touch. Because, uh, and there was, he said, but we've got this one cassette and it's the whole side of a C90 and it just says the same thing all the time. Um, they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what, what it was from a song or whatever. And, and I said, oh, well, they were at my house, the detective. So I just put it in a cassette machine, played it, and it was the, hi, I'm Chuck, you want to play? You know, over, they crudely edited it over the pause button because it was like a big click at the end. And they, there was that taken from what I, obviously I'd sample that onto my tune. I'm Chucky, wanna play. And they've just done that. They just recorded that over and over and over again. So, and played that to her as part of the torture, which uh, turned the stomach a little bit, really. Um, and when I found that out, because he was, he's going, oh, right, so that isn't how it should, how it goes. I said, no, they've crudely edited it together, you know, with a pause button and whatever. So that was the story of that. And yet, when I heard that that's what happened, um, I didn't really want to play it again after that. Uh, no, I stopped playing it. Yeah, I just thought, oh, God, this is horrible. And obviously hearing the track made me think of how, you know, the, the horrible things that went on for her and, and everything. So, <clears throat> yeah, I did I did stop playing it on the radio and evening gigs um, and left it for a good, probably a good couple of years or more, really, uh, before I even thought about digging it out again. Uh, because it was in in the news, it didn't say. Oh, it was on a Stu Allen tune because they didn't mention me or anything. It was just they mentioned, you know, the Chucky and whatever. So yeah, I didn't want to be uh, linked to that. To be quite honest. So, so you didn't you didn't play it, but did it impact upon your production at all? No, not at all. Uh, I just felt horrible for that one track. To be quite honest, yeah. um, and I just carried on. The following year, as it would have been '93, I was doing. Other things, yeah, oh, that's where. Well, here's a, here's a, 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 well, we'll talk about that very shortly. But here's a follow-up question for that. <clears> then um, you sampled that from Child's Play, uh, yes, yes, which obviously yeah. is, a, is, is a famous horror tune, which again has links as well to Jamie Bulger. That would have been, you know, probably before. You know, right, it's not yeah. there. We, you know, we're not linked at all, but it, 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 it has been used. Did you then not? Did you avoid then sampling horror? Yeah, I, I thought no. it's best not to. I don't know. At the same time, though, you know, the horror-y type things, especially in um, especially in hardcore, some of the Gabra tunes and stuff mm -hmm. they've sampled in there. But uh, yeah, I just thought, well, it didn't. It wouldn't have if I'd have heard another sample, you know, in something. I mean, in fact, I did have stuff, but they weren't released. There were stuff from, you know, Hellraiser and things all sampled in there. But I just never released them. But not for that reason, though. You know, if it, it just it was just unfortunate for that one tune, really. Okay. You know, uh, so I just moved on. And, yeah, you know, it was horrible at the time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It must have been a, a shitty mm. time. Um, so you mentioned Clock. 
so now we're going to move on to that. Um, mm -hmm. You found chart success. This is the pop star bit, right? Uh, that we yeah. hinted at in the intro, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in oh. the intro of the part one. Um, yeah, so true, you were one half of uh, popular Eurodance act clock. Um, tell us <laughs> how that came about. Well, all that was, was uh, in 93, yeah, I just uh, had an idea for a tune. That's all it was. And uh, went down to Media Records in London to, to record it. Um, and it became uh, what was uh, Holding On. It was just called Holding On. And so I don't know, again, no plans to whatever. It was that, <laughs> let's make, I want to make a tune. And that's all it was, you know. So media immediately signed it. They said, oh, yeah, this is great. Uh, it was doing, you know, it's just one of them big clubby tunes. No one knew it was me. Came out as a thing with clock on it. I just decided to call it clock, holding on. Um, even uh, Paul Oakenfold put it like number one in his, you know, like people used to have DJ charts. Oh, a great Italian out, new Italian outfit, you know, and all this. No one knew it was me at all. But anyway, um, that was that. And then it, because there was a, a big success for that one track, um, they said, well, we need to, to do something else. So I did another thing and I thought, okay, it wasn't the most underground tune in it anyway. So, but it was big in places like bowlers and whatever. I just did this other one that's, that could cross a little bit. And I think that second one was something like Keep the Fires Burning. I can't remember. But it had something. But we put Holding On on there. And because Holding On was on the B side, on the 12 inch, it, it reached the top 30. And I was like, oh, God, that's uh, quite incredible. So from the, that bit of success, they said, right, well, we need something else. And it'd be great if it went a bit higher. And, <laughs> and you know, obviously, this is what record companies are like, you know, bigger companies. So. Um, so they right, okay, well, and, it, and that's all it was really. It was it never in a million years planned to make music that was for the charts in that way, you know, really, not not at all, you know. And then we did this, yeah, I did um, a remix of Niall Rogers' version of Axel F and completely transformed it, as you can imagine, uh, which sounded like a clock track with this kicking bass drum and all very uplifting and big big synths and everything and i had it and it but it's still you know it's still a cheesy track even though it still sounds good if you see to me but i was like well okay this is what the record company want they wanted this as a remix anyway so i was actually i've just made it that week they cut what's called an acetate of it for me so I'll try it out in the club somewhere and i went yeah well okay i'll give it a go and i was at bowlers that, that and it, it would have been 93 94. the place was absolutely around there was at least in the dance floor area itself there was at least three three and a half thousand people all going absolutely mental to everything i was playing all very high energy stuff you know back then and i thought i'm going to bung it in and see what happens and I remember putting it on, thinking, I'm going to get fucking slated for this now. But I thought, I've got to test it. I'm just going to test it. And as soon as I mixed it in, I was reaching for another obvious tune out of my box in case the, the dance floor just died or 
they were throwing things at me or whatever. And by the time it got to the main big riff, you know, do, 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 there was everybody's arms were in the air going, oh, yes. <laughs> and no one was more surprised than me. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. God bless drugs, Stu. You might not take them, but I tell you what, they're handy <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Thraxa West, anyway. So, yeah, I couldn't believe it. So, what was a very commercial track and all the rest of it. So, from that, I took it away and made a slightly different version and released it as a clocks, clock release. And um, that was the first top 10 uh, hit from, from Clock by just doing that. Well, remarkable, right? 14 top 40 hits. Four of those reached the top 10. I mean, how did that feel for you, for your parents, for your families? <coughs> how did they react to this? All of a sudden, you've got this pop fame. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, on purpose, I never, you know, the fame wasn't for me. It was for the, the act that we had, who were great. Marcus and Lorna were the act that everybody saw. You know, I just made sure the music that was released was was right for them, you know. So, um, yeah, I'd, I was well out, out of the way of top of the pop. They'd always see some old git on top of the pop was going... <laughs> you know, I left it to the, the those who knew what they were doing. So okay. yeah, um, okay. So you yeah, get... from all that, I mean, my mum and dad just at the time went, "Oh, that's good," and that was it, really. You know, they, they didn't didn't quite get it, but they were they were very happy, obviously. And uh, and anyone else was just going, "Wow," you know. I don't, yeah, people like I was doing my show, my show on the Sunday when the first top ten, and uh, even the boss of Key One Hundred Three phoned the ex-directory line during my show and congratulated me, which was very nice. You know, Keith Pringle, if you're watching this, and I was always, uh, you know, appreciated that phone call. Yeah, it was nice. It was all nice. Uh, but it just happened. It just happened. I know it was all pop music and whatever, but I was, you know, doing other things, you know, as well. But it was, it was one of them where they wanted something else. They wanted something else. And it, it was fine. Just did other mixes. I just did hardcore mixes. You know, well, to, uh, so, so, you know, okay, so you didn't necessarily get the sort of trappings of fame, but what no. about fortune? Patrick Kelly on Facebook asked, was it lucrative and did you have to pay loads for the covers and for the samples? Uh, well, I didn't earn anywhere near as much as I possibly could have done. Uh, just, just twas, twas ever thus, Duke. Well, well, yeah, I'm not going to go into all the boring detail, but no, the deal was pretty rubbish for me, but it just the way it was, but I'm not going to moan about that now. But uh, sampling-wise, I didn't sample, which is extremely important, obviously. If you're going to sample and you want to pay for that or whatever, that's less, isn't it? But no, uh, any vocals, uh, I made sure I got decent singers in to, to make them sound like the originals. Sampling was just, you know, if something sounded like something, it was a sound of something else, you know. So, yeah, I, that was it. No sample. But obviously, if you do a cover version of something, then you have to give the royalties to whoever wrote it. And obviously, rightly so, you know. So, yeah. But, yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't as lucrative as it should have been. Okay, so it wasn't lucrative, but it did give you some money. Uh, well, I hope you gave oh, yeah. some money. Otherwise, it yeah, would have been, uh, that's the worst deal in the world. But um, it, so it, you did make some money. What did you, What did you do with that money at the time? Did you invest it? And has that helped you? Latterly. Yeah, obviously, it just helps with uh, buying a nicer house at the time and, you know, and affording the mortgage and 
you know, and obviously you don't shit yourself and a bill turns up. You know, it's it's that kind of thing, really. Um, but that's you know, it doesn't that doesn't last forever. So, you know, I, I just haven't been stupid with my money, luckily. So uh, yeah, just I just plod on and uh, still be happy. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be um, nice to earn some more now. Well, of course. I mean, it's always nice to earn a bit more money, isn't it? Um, you, you mentioned you remixed Nile Rogers. You've also remixed Peter Andre, which uh, some <laughs> people might not know about. That's quite a shift in direction, really. Well, um, so, what was Nile Rogers like? Firstly, to work with. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't meet him, unfortunately, ah. because he is a legend. Absolutely, even back then, you know, he's more of a legend now than he was even then. But this is like, yeah, mid nineties. No, unfortunately, we're in communication. You know, saying. Uh, Oh, you're not supposed to use that. That's my synth and blah de blah. So we had an argument over. No, it isn't. Yes. I did that city. Yeah, all this kind of nonsense. But yeah, uh, he probably but, hated my what was, I did. So was he was it was so was he difficult to work with then? I mean, if you no. that, 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 those sort of even even in those communications where you didn't necessarily even speak, like was so was it was he quite demanding because he's got high standards or what? No, I, I just think um you know, he did his version, and when he was probably told that there was going to be a dance version, he probably just didn't understand that sound at that time, you know what I mean? But it worked for commercial UK dance floors, whereas his version wouldn't have done, you know, that's all it was, really. But, yeah, what a guy. I mean, I love the guy. Well, and, and from one musical legend to another, uh, what was it like working with Peter Andre? I've met him, by the way, quite a few times in my career. No, again, uh, again, he had no idea. <laughs> no, he seems like a nice guy, but I don't know him. And I've never met him. <laughs> but did, no, he like, was, did he like your work? No, no idea. Uh, it, was just, it was just one of them, you know, when you become whatever, you know, you, there's a bit of a note. They go, oh, uh, let's just... Can you get get them to do a clock mix of that? You know, and it was a bit because I think the the original track was just some dreadful poppy sort of tune, and I just housed made a housey version of it. And even my version wasn't that good, but it just it made the CD apparently. So. <laughs> Very non, a big non-event for me in my life, I have to say. But Peter Andre still talks about it, so you know. They... <laughs> we really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages with big plans to expand further and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com where you can find loads of cool extra content and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again 
rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. Back to the rave scene and the rave stuff. You, your work under Visa, alias, around that time as well, really took off, um, especially with tracks that featured on the legendary Bonkers compilations, which anyone who's listened to this will know exactly what they were. Um, yeah. What was it that made you go down that happy hardcore route? Well, it was just a, a progression of, you know, Visa What didn't start off as happy hardcore. I did a Let Me See You Move as originally in 91, and that was just a, a ploddy techno-ish track of its time um and then more remixes came later you know to sort of suit the era you know i think 93 was the next time there was mixes and if you were going to do some hardcore um that that era after 93 94 95 was happy hardcore really uh and certainly in the scene i was djing at at that time you know anything dark and whatever regarding hardcore I wasn't involved with. So, yeah, you just make sure they're banging away, great melodies, you know, and everyone's just having a, a good time, hence the term, I suppose. And were you were you really into that stuff? Because I, like, cause it's interesting because you've done so much, so many varied things, Some been into some really intelligent music, and I think we can be, be reasonable and say that Happy Hardcore in the mid-'90s, while it was fun and we all enjoyed it, yeah. Uh, not, not all of us, some people who watch this going, I didn't enjoy it, but you know, a lot oh, of us enjoyed it and it was fun. I, it wasn't, I don't think you can say realistically that it was particularly intelligent. So, did you, were you really into it? Well, uh, it depends, not all of it, not all of it at all. Um, it depended on because, uh, when you say it's not intelligent, the intelligent bit. I, I, want, is, I should I should point out that I, I'm not saying it's not intelligent. I'm just saying no, that I know exactly some, of, some of the other music that was being made. It's perhaps not as highly well produced. It's not as well thought through. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. It, it, but but it's fun and people like it. So I'm yeah, not to, yeah. I'm not doing it down. No, I'm just, I'm not, I know you're not slugging it off at all. No, the, it, yeah, production wise was a bit oh, at times, you know, a bit screechy and whatever. Um, so I tried not to do that, although it was a lot, you know, just a big kick in there. Big synths, um, melodic sections, nice strings, and try and produce it and mix it as um, as well as you would do um, almost like a clock song, if you see it to me. So, the, you know, all the, the effort and everything goes in, and people did notice that, and I'm really happy that they did. I wasn't trying to make anything commercial or pop it was but it was on those lines but for the happy hardcore crowd you know don't go away and fly away people still like to hear that one and I made sure that the vocals are absolutely bang on and uh, the, the, the balance of the synths and, you know, the, the, the beats and the bass, you know, all that sort of thing has to be produced nicely. So it just sits better than another one in, in someone's set, really. Okay. So, yeah, that was important and tried to make it a bit more intelligent. Well done, you. Uh, wow. did, uh, did, so did you enjoy playing out of the 90s Happy Harker? Because... We we explore this a lot in this podcast. It actually it was 
massive. I mean, it was it was huge. It was the it biggest was, yeah. the biggest music scene in the country at that time for a brief period. Admittedly, did you really enjoy uh, playing out on that on, on that happy uh, happy hardcore circuit? What were the, what were those times like? Yeah. The- it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it was like the extension of what was going on ninety two, ninety three. You know, where it was all, you know, um, more underground and whatever. <clears throat> and then ninety four came, and there was slightly extra bits coming in. You know, with like a, a thumping drum rather than a breakbeat. You know, but the breakbeats were there, but it was done in a more dancey way. You know what I mean? One of them, but rather. And then ninety five bit more of this put some more vocals in it might be um horribly pitched up but it, it, it worked you know what i mean it didn't really matter and then more sort of original productions started coming in with actual singers you know rather than samples and uh, yeah they the, the were a bit screechy for my liking some of the productions but they were they were a lot some of them became handsome you know where um force and styles starting off and things you know with Heart of Gold and all those sorts of things. And they, they were just hugely popular. But as time went on a little bit, um, with that scene, I kind of thought, I've played enough of it now, really, to be honest. because, And I think a lot of other DJs did. Towards the end of the 90s, just got less and less interesting uh, of that style, which was quite a shame, but it's kind of... Oh well, you know that's how it goes. There's always other music, you know. But how did how did you feel? Yeah. How did you feel about that? Because you know you are you've tried you've said just now that you've tried to make more intelligent happy hardcore, and then you're now saying you know towards the end of, of the nineties that mm. the quality did. You know, even even Hicksy's admitted it. You know, and he was a big part of that movement. He said it did the quality did die around towards yeah, the end. it was towards it the end of the nineties. How did you feel about that? Yeah, I just felt it a shame, really. Um, and there's no point, well, at the time, I just thought, there's no point in me making more of that, you know, to, to, to try and whatever, to try and make it fit. Or So I just thought, I'll just leave it. Um, um, and it was interesting to see certain nights. There was, used to be some nights going on in uh, bowlers, even. Uh, the, the compulsion, they were called. And, and I said, and that... In the end, I just said, if you want to put me on, that's great, but I will I will do a classic set sort of thing. It wasn't really old school back then, you would call it, but I'll go on and play, you know, stuff that was five or six years old, you know, when it was a lot better. And they went, right, okay. But the crowd loved that because it broke up all the new stuff, you know, and they were, yeah, great. We know, we know all these tunes, which is obviously important, you know. And then they had a house room, and I said, well, just... Put me in there. I'll just play new house all day. You know, no problem there. It's quite quite hard house, really. You know, I mean, more tidy tracks and bits and pieces. So I was doing sort of that sort of stuff as well. You know, so yeah. So, uh, so what what do you what do you put down that dive in quality towards the end of the nineties too? Yeah, <clears throat> I've no idea as such as to why. You know, like the the quality of the song, of the music would be would be less. You know, because normally you'd get someone to come along. Well, I'll do this then, and then it makes it better again. And that didn't really work. I'd, I'd, maybe the the nights, you know, the the actual events that went on weren't that good either. I don't know. I don't really know uh, because 
once that happened, I wasn't really bothered about being or playing, you know, at that era. You know what I mean? It was it was a good a good five years of not playing a lot of hardcore. And, and when it got to, I did notice around about the mid two thousand. So it got to around two thousand five. Then I started hearing little bits from people. I'm going, ooh, now that's a little bit better. That is a lot, a lot better. And inspired me then to sort of go, right, I'm 2000. It was the end of 2004, I remember. I was driving the gig, and the guy, Paul, was sat next to me. And I said, 2005 is the year I'm going to do some more hardcore. And I did. And I just steamed into it, into 2005, every all these compilation albums and low I did so much stuff yeah right yeah uh, but to go back to the, the, the when it was at its peak and and and, and you were producing stuff uh, and and it was going on bonkers as as well mm -hmm. um what was your vision for visa uh and and the tracks that you produced did you have one or again are we talking because mark archer i interviewed mark archer recently and by the way go and yeah. watch that episode if you haven't because it's really good um and he's like basically everyone was an accident I, I, it was. It was none of it was deliberate. It was all accident. Was there no it vision? Was, uh, no, no, not at all. Um, it's just always been my kind of hardcore pseudonym. That was all. Um, so anything of that was hard in that way went under visa. And uh, yeah, I just made tunes that suited that. There was, like I said before, with the clock tunes, <clears throat> you'd get this basic pop song and everything that was right for. The commercial clubs and everything, but I get the ingredients of those um, to make a visa mix, and everybody's got all oh, of all the visa, call it the visa treatment, basically. So there was always a hardcore mix that you could play at a hardcore event, but they weren't clock; they were just went under the name of visa instead. But all so the ingredients and stuff. what was what was your favourite visa track? Um, I suppose it, the all-time one would have to be. Um, let me see you move. Because it's still a bit iconic-y. But I suppose song-wise, and the most popular that people, which I love seeing if they're singing along and whatever, is Fly Away, I suppose. You know, they're the ones that... They're the ones that have done the best over the years, yeah. Well, what was it like seeing the ravers react to those tracks when you or other DJs dropped them? Because they, you know, they were huge and everyone was playing them. Yeah, it's lovely to know that they they know the words and they happily, you know, singing their hearts out, you know, all, all sweaty and everything. And they just know, you know, I just love it. It's just brilliant, you know. So, yeah, it's obviously a nice feeling, yeah. Well, were there any that you didn't like? <laughs> That, that I've made? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some really horrible ones. No, they didn't come till later on, though. There was, we were in the, like I said, around 2000, we're not talk, we're talking 90s, but there were some compilations that came out, um, Hardcore Adrenaline and Hardcore Nation, <clears throat> and they were just churning and churning and churning out. And they go, right, with that one, and they were doing really well, you know, they were in, high up in the charts of uh, the compilation album chart, but they just wanted another treatment, another one. And I go, yeah, it's not really finished. That's not ready, is it? Don't matter. No, no, we'll put it on, we'll put it on. So I was like, oh, no. So, yeah, there was a couple I was thinking, no, they're so not good at all. Is commercialism the death of creativity? 
Yeah, it can be, you know, because if you're, um, the problem being is that the people who want to release it, unless you release it yourself, but that those who want to release something um, obviously want a success. But if you've made a success of one, they say, well, we want another one now, we want another one now. And that was the trouble with like with Klopman. You've, had, you've been in the top 10, not another top 10. They don't want a top 20, they want another top 10. And it just goes on and you think, ah, oh, bollocks to this. You know what I mean? It's, it's not enjoyable anymore. So like you say, if it, if it's, you know, that, that the commercial obviously side of it does spoil, you know, having to be successful will spoil your creative. Def definitely, definitely. And those, uh, the, you know, the biggest tracks that you just talked about, about Visa, the ones that that have gone down in history as the anthems, how well do you think they've aged? Um, no, they're obviously old sounding. Although, you know, I do, at the moment I'm doing some lockdown shows and on a, on a Thursday I'll do an hour of Happy Hardcore. And they're obviously all older tunes. And, uh, and every now and again I'll throw that in and it, it still sounds to me fine um in different versions i've got different mixes of them and um, yeah i i think well I, or even when i do a gig if it's if it's a hardcore set i'll throw that in and they love it you know so yeah it's aged all right really some of the other things haven't so much but in general but i think if i'm doing a set that's relatively old school anyway that they're not looking for some new sound, are they? They just they know no. they're going to get the old tune. A nostalgia, it's a nostalgia trip, right? Yeah. Um, well, here's a cheeky question. We did, we asked you a little bit earlier about the uh, the money that you got from Clock. Well, what about Bonkers? Uh, was the reality check from React uh, heavy when it came through the level? No idea. No, absolutely no idea. Um, it wouldn't have been loads, although those Bonkers albums did do well. Um, I couldn't put a figure on it. And if I could, I would say, but no, they weren't silly money. It just ends up in a in your list every three months or whatever it is. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't that much. <laughs> what, a, what a funny way to earn a living. Uh, Phil Anderson on Facebook asks, how did you manage to get away with playing Happy Hardcore on a Sunday night on a main radio station? And did you have to fight for it or was it easier than it looked? Well, like I was saying in our, the first edition of this, um, it was the... Um, it all started where the bosses were going, oh, what are you playing this funny music, which was house music back in 86. And, um, it, you know, just to recap on what was said, is the bosses just said, okay, if the ratings are any good, we'll do it your way. And if not, you're going to have to do it our way. And luckily, throughout the time I was there, uh, the ratings were great. So the bosses just left me to it. I could literally play anything. I played all sorts. I never got any any flat for it whatsoever. love that yeah. that's crazy oh, yeah i mean to be honest though ra ratings do talk don't they i mean as uh, yeah, one radio just... presenter to another if you've got smashing ratings then you're you're safe but when they go yeah. off a cliff you know you're you're less safe um when i mean i'd be interested in this because i actually i spent a bit of time living in manchester around about 2006 and then again in around 2008 as a journalist as a trainee journalist and um the people that I became friends with there who were Mancunians would always talk about you and they would talk about your radio show and yeah. how much, you know, they loved, you know, you would be doing these happy hardcore shows and you got them into hardcore. How many yeah. people do you think you inspired into hardcore in your days <laughs> with the radio show? And, and how does that make you feel? It's, it's just 
so brilliant. Um, but I never thought, at, certainly at the time, um, you know, that that was what was going on. I just went on and played played stuff on, on the radio. But I do get it all, even now, uh, people will come up and it's so nice. Even DJs would say, oh, it was you that got me into DJing. Uh, it's all down to you that I go out raving. I would never have done this if I have heard your radio show. All that sort of thing. And it it's lovely, you know what I mean? I, I just, you know, it's, again, that wasn't the plan. You know, I just, you know, I went on the radio and played music. And, you know, to have that is the nicest reaction, really. You know, definitely. And and when the scene did split, um, why do you think the North mainly drifted towards a more European 4-4 kick drum sound, slightly cheesier perhaps, piano-based, and not that sort of breakbeat jungle drummer-based direction? What was it about the North? Um, I've no idea. It's always been a bit more full-on, um, you know, and probably a bit more, yeah, commercial, as, you know, on the whole. Um so if you go to Scotland, it's that bit more again. You know, you've got your, your dream frequencies and things. That style, they love it. You know, it's a more the time frequency and all that sort of very commercial so-called rave music, you know. <clears throat> but um, it's just, air, um, you know, areas, you know. Uh, it's just strange how they, everywhere you go, but it's the same for, you know, like, a, a, a band like whoever is very successful in this country but can't break America. You know, it's just down to territories and the, the way their preferences really. You know, I don't know why. Um, you know, you go to London and they they don't like uh, you know stomping Euro music or something. You know, somewhere it does, but on the whole, they don't. You know, it'd be really interesting to do some sort of study around this whether there's you know because the further north you go the harder the music is right that's just that's how it is why is that what is yeah, that about? no i don't know uh, maybe we need you know because it's grim up north we need more of that escape <laughs> from it all <laughs> yeah, it's grew up north indeed uh, we're here with Stu Allen the Manchester legend he's not grim he's a very sunny character surprisingly given he's uh, from Stockport uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can do uh, hello at the night is podcast.co.uk why don't you follow us on social media on all of them Instagram we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook you just got to search for raw the 90s rave podcast also if you're able to spare a few quid to keep us going you can head over to uh, gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast and a little donation really will help to keep us doing what we're doing. And hopefully you enjoy it. Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard of how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work. And your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. UK pods to see what's on offer. 
You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or repeat donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi. 